We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Um, I mean, he's an outstanding player. I mean, he was going off and still be able to have the vision and find me and find everybody else. So, uh, I mean, I know he's like that play with him last year. So, I know even when he's hot, he's still look free. So, I was kind of just staying ready, just waiting for the ball to come to me and then be aggressive. Uh, just... Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. We just passed mid-season for the Phoenix Suns. We are now past game 42, uh, and the Suns just beat the Celtics on the what, what is officially the second half of the season. My name is Mike V. Hill, the host of this podcast with me, as every week, of course, is the co-host Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? What's up, Mike? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm excited for the guy we're talking to today. Basically, the king of Suns Twitter. That's right. At this we, point, we got. That's right. We got a special guest for this podcast. I figured it's midseason. We need to have a guest. We have to have someone who's definitely watching every game the same way that Sam and I are watching every single game. And that's Andrew Leezus from Twitter. Everyone knows him. Andrew, how are you doing? Uh, Packers just lost, so I mean, I'm not doing the best, <laughs> but I mean, I'm ex- I'm actually really excited. Like, you guys have like such like dope podcasts, and like, like I like I love y'all tweets, bro. So I'm actually I'm actually super excited to be here, bro. Yeah, I'm glad that you joined us. I'm sorry about the Packers. I mean, here's what I'll say. Uh, I didn't expect them to be there. <laughs> I'll be honest. No, that's, what I, that's what I tweeted. I'm like, man, nobody even thought Packers are going to win the North, so I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, it's not the worst ending of the season. Uh, that would be probably the Patriots or even the Cardinals. <laughs> so, yeah, I, <laughs> it hurt, I mean, Cardinals, expectations go into a, a lot of how you felt about how the Cardinals ended as well. I'm excited mm-hmm. about them for the future. But yeah, I'm sorry about the Packers. The Super Bowl... Uh, is going to be interesting this year, though. We're recording this immediately after the ending of that 49ers-Packers game for anyone that's wondering. And we're going to cover a lot of things today. We're going to cover 
mid-season grades for everyone on the Suns, or everyone that plays on the Suns, basically. And um, we're going to give them letter grades, but the important part is not the letter grades. It's difficult to come up with a letter grade because a lot of that is like, is LeBron James the only A-plus in the NBA? Or, you know, like, how do you grade them? So we're just going to grade them based on our own standards and how we felt like we wanted to grade them. And we'll talk about each one individually and break down how we feel about every single one. And we're going to start with the front office and coaching staff. So I thought this was a good place to start. Uh, A difficult one. It's halfway through the season. Our feelings are going to change, obviously. We're feeling good because we just watched the Celtics game, right? The Suns beat, for the third time this year, the Suns beat a team with a winning record, which is kind of nice. So we're feeling kind of good, but we don't want to take that into it. First, let's talk about Monty Williams. Monty Williams, of course, his first year with the Phoenix Suns. He's had, I think, the perception that people have had of Monty Williams, just like any coach for any team. It just shoots up and down depending on how they're playing with every game. Uh, I did my best to try and think of this as the entire season, um, but I'll let Sam. Why don't you go first? What What is your grade for Monty Williams so far this year, and how do you feel about him? Yeah, man. I mean, the first thing I'll say is just that with all of these grades, um, I was trying to take into account preseason expectations. Uh, so it doesn't matter if that's the front office or the players, but with Monty, what that meant for me is he came in. We really had so many questions about what he was going to be this season because he had last uh, been a head coach for the Pelicans for five years. They were one of the slowest teams in the NBA. Uh, and so I had no idea what, what he was going to do coming into the uh, his first season with the Suns. I'm going to give Monty Williams an A- minus for his job so far. And I think there's been a couple of... Uh, couple of weak points throughout the season obviously like most recently a couple of weeks ago especially when he was doing things like starting Aaron Baines and DeAndre Ayton together Uh, but I think at the core of this issue the Suns went from a bottom three offensive team to a middle of the middle of the road offensive team in terms of the advanced stats offensive rating they made the same jump uh, defensively Uh, they are now one of the best passing teams in the NBA they were 20th in assists last year they're second this year um, across the board, Monty is just, he's, he's really helped this team uh, sort of consistently, offensively and defensively. Uh, again, he coached one of the slowest teams in New Orleans, and now they're a top 10 team in pace. So I think he's just really shown that he's an adaptable coach who's fit for the modern NBA, which was a huge question we had. And, you know, he, he's just, he's been more than willing to change his starting lineups up. He experimented with the Aiton and Baines thing, saw it didn't work was then more than willing to go back and try other stuff. And ultimately, that's what I want to see out of a, uh, out of a head coach. So I'm pretty happy with Monty so far, and I'm going to go A-. minus. Andrew, what do you think? I'll probably say uh, around like a B plus. B plus, A-, minus. I'm in that same range. But it's like, so obviously you want to take into account the whole season. I think Monty's been great. And I think there's a lot of worries because, you know, the last time he was a head coach was 2014 with the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. So... We didn't know how he'd adjust to this, uh, the modern NBA with uh, taking threes. And we saw a little bit of that in training camp and uh, in a preseason when he was talking about this .5 system, right? Just get the ball, pass it, take a three. So I, I think his system has been pretty good. And I think more so, I think what's really like what I liked about him as a hire and, and overall was he's like a great leader, man. And like the guys really actually respect him. And, and it's unfair to say like, oh, you know, it's better than Igor because nobody respected Igor because he's still the head coach. And you got to respect your head coach. But I feel like Monty's somebody that the players can really relate to. He's a, he's somebody that the players trust. And, like, we, we've known that he's well-respected around the league. So 
And with the lineups, uh, you know, it's been a little up and down. Obviously, nobody likes the Baines and the Baton lineup. Nobody's a fan of that. And I, I do wish he'd trust his rotations a little more instead of just every other game changing rotations because I feel like that doesn't really help the players either. But overall, I mean, I feel like some people, their expectations, I think all of our expectations went way out, like <laughs> way above than what we thought because in the prediction, um, who was it? Suns read it. He, he asked us all, right? I think I predicted 35 wins for the Suns and like I would have been super happy for that. And, you know, they start off seven and four and all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, Monty's coach of the year. And the Suns start tweeting out, yo, is he coach of the year yet? <laughs> but overall, Monty's done a great job. And what do they have right now? 18 wins, mm-hmm. almost matching the last year's total. So I give him a, a as, the more I think about it, it's more of an A minus than it is a B plus. <laughs> yeah, I, I went with a B plus as well, and that's my initial estimate. And I actually, I'm on that same page as well. I, I think that the important part for me when I was approaching these grades is not letting that first sort of 12 game stretch of the season dictate what my grades are now because. What's important to remember is your expectations before the season. Yes, they started out hot, but was that enough to change your overall expectations for the season? And for me, uh, at the time, yeah, uh, we talked about it on this podcast. We talked about is our expectation now playoffs and would be would we be disappointed if they didn't make the playoffs? And, and we talked about that we would. Uh, but that changes over time, as all things do. I think with Monty, what I've been impressed by is he really hasn't had a full roster this season at all. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton being suspended for 25 games was a massive uh, wrench just thrown in there that you had to figure out. But also there were some Baines injuries. There's been some, obviously Kelly Oubre hasn't played the last few games. Cameron Johnson's been in and out of the rotation. Chai Jerome, even though he's not quite the rotation player that we thought he would be, in and out of the rotation as well. Devin Booker missing a few games. That's a lot to deal with as a first-year head coach trying to establish some sort of culture for your team. And I think he's done a good job juggling all of the complex stuff that he's had to deal with as a head coach for this team. I also think, uh, you know, just coaching the Phoenix Suns in general is is a bit of a task because of their reputation and what they've been known for. And uh, he's gotten a lot out of DeAndre Ayton that we've seen so far. He's gotten a lot out of Devin Booker, the best season of his career so far. And uh, B plus, I think he's right there. I would easily give him, give him an A uh, by the end of the season if things keep going as they're going and of course if the suns made the playoffs that's like an obvious a you you can't give a coach who joined right, the suns yeah. and they made the playoffs <laughs> you can't give him anything under an a uh so b plus is right there and i'm willing to absolutely uh, shift over to an a on that one uh overall i think he's done a good job and here's one thing i will say there's been a lot of different lineups there's been a lot of different rotation changes but i think one of the things that i've li- actually liked about monty so far is that he's willing to try different things but he'll pull the plug if it's not working. So he might try it one, two, or three games. And if it doesn't work, he'll just change it up. And I think that's something that you have to do when you're dealing with a lot of weird injuries or guys in and out of uh, the rotation because of uh, other reasons, like with DeAndre Ayton. So if he had to do that, he had to do it. And I just like that he doesn't stick with things too long. He's not overly stubborn. Like we're not starting two big men anymore, two centers. So that kind of thing. Yeah, (laughs) I enjoy. Uh, Let's talk about James Jones. we got a lot to talk about on this podcast, obviously, so we can't stick too long on each topic. But James Jones is an interesting one. Uh, Actually, Andrew, why don't you go first on this one? How do you feel about James Jones uh, so far and what he's done? Obviously, everything really happened in the offseason, but also I guess you could include him not making any moves yet in your evaluation of James Jones. What do you think? I I have to give him a B-. minus. It's the same because I love the Rubio signing, obviously, and I know 
especially I, I mean I get frustrated sometimes with Ruby in the fourth quarter with those like running shots from like 18 feet that aren't threes but just from the top of the key and they get frustrating but he just does so many things to win that it's like it's a great it's a, it was a great signing and I feel like some now I feel like the fans are kind of like taking him for granted Rubio the Rubio signing because you know he, he doesn't do everything perfect because he's not a perfect player which is why he's like players like him who's such a great playmaker that's why he's available to go get because you know he's not the perfect player he can't always shoot but I thought that was a good move but I, I'll go back to the draft and you know you get Dario Sarge who's been solid and he's been a really good, he's been a contributor and you get Cam Johnson who's shown flashes but I, I just can't get over passing over uh, Brandon Clark. He was my number three player in the draft, and it seemed like he just fell to the Suns like it's, it's a sign of fate or something. And I recorded my reaction to it, too, because I was so sure it was going to be Brendan Clark. And mm-hmm. then they said Cam Johnson, and I just <laughs> threw my phone down. I was like, I didn't even upload the thing. I just tweeted, like, bye. I'm like, I'm done. I'm off this app. Like, it, and then you see Brandon Clark, the things he's doing in Memphis, that, that seems like such a perfect fit next to DeAndre. And so that was a bit frustrating. But then you go back to – Letting Bender go and signing Kaminsky and Kaminsky. I mean, we're going to get into the grades right now, but, you know, Kaminsky's, you know, he's done what he was signed <laughs> to do. I'm trying to be nice, but, you know, he, I mean, yeah. in, in all fairness, you know, he, he was forced into a role that he didn't think he'd get with DeAndre Aiden getting suspended. So, you know, Kaminsky wasn't the worst signing ever. It wasn't good, but it wasn't the worst signing. But I, I think a B- is solid. I don't, I don't know. Like, he's done some solid things, but there hasn't been anything that he's done. You're like, Wow. But there's been a couple moves that you're like, eh, I'm not sure. And then as far as not trading for somebody, I, that's kind of what I disagree with. I see a lot of people on Suns Twitter saying, you know, give up the – I saw Max tweet. I love Max, but he tweeted that, like, give up the, give up the playoffs hope. Suns are, what, two games back of the eighth seed? Mm-hmm. And it's like a, they're behind a Memphis team that's just as young as them. You know, they're inexperienced. There's no – it's not a guarantee that Memphis just keeps up this great play. So I think when you have an opportunity to make the playoffs and – Obviously, I'm not saying sell the farm and, you know, go get – I'm against, like, Kevin Love or any of those big contracts, with, you know. But if you can add a rotation piece, if – I think it was – who was it? Uh, I think it was a sports – AZ Sports Zone. He suggested Patty Mills. Like, somebody like that would be great. And I think James Jones – I heard him make a comment about, you know, they didn't expect to be here at this point and they're happy with where they're at, so they're not really trying to mortgage the future. But I don't think getting Patty Mills or, you know, rotation right. power forward is going to, like – is going to mortgage the future. I think if you have a chance to make the playoffs, it, you know, you get a chance to make Devin Booker happy, and then you have to be a little more aggressive than I think what I've seen from what we've seen from James Jones. Mm-hmm. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, again, judging from expectations, uh, I'm going to go with a C plus for James Jones, basically like a C is satisfactory. And what was what was the whole plan for James Jones this summer is to raise the floor. Mission accomplished. You know, I don't know what the ceiling of this team is, uh, but the floor is definitely raised. You know, some of the moves he made, just like Andrew was talking about, were solid. You know, the Brandon Clark, Brandon Clark was my guy too. So I was upset about that. I like Cam Johnson so far. The big thing that holds me up at this point is uh, it's still the Josh Jackson trade. Uh, and I shouldn't even talk about it as a Josh Jackson trade. It's the DeAnthony Melton trade because right now, mm-hmm. you know, we see how much the Suns are hurting for bench production. And it's just a fact that they could have waved and stretched Josh Jackson and didn't have to give up DeAnthony Melton just to get rid of him. And it would have cost them a couple extra million on their cap sheet for the next few years. But given what we know Melton is becoming now, he's becoming really a Patrick Beverly type player. Uh, that just would have been so valuable for the Suns to have long term. So, you know, James Jones has made a couple of short-sighted decisions like that that could come back to haunt the Suns in the future. That being said, 
wanted to raise the floor. He's raised the floor. Uh, and I think when he talks about how the Suns are even a little bit better than he expected, he is telling the truth. So I'm going to go with the C plus for him. I've been basically satisfied. I also had, same as Andrew, a B minus here. And I think with James Jones, so much of it, I guess part of my B minus is still because I think that ultimately what what this team needs is a star, another star player. It, some, somebody next to Devin Booker that can also create offense on their own. I think this team clearly still struggles when he's off the floor. And although we do have better players and they did make a lot of good moves this, this offseason to make the team better, uh, that's still a glaring hole and a glaring weakness for this team. And it was something that we talked about before this season even began. So it wasn't a huge surprise for us here on this podcast. And as we know, I loved D'Angelo Russell, but there were other options out there as well. Um, some that never came to fruition, but I do think that he has done a good job overall. It's just not not excellent. I, I had the same uh, the same type of tweet. I think that we all did, or, or or Reddit comment. If you're on Reddit, I remember immediately after the trade, I said, "I can't believe the Suns are going to get Dario Saric uh, <laughs> and get another power forward when when they draft Brandon Clark." But of course, that didn't happen, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but overall, I think a B minus is pretty good. Uh, let's get into the players. We're gonna wait, st- wait, wait. Mm-hmm. I, I just got a question for both of you guys. Mm-hmm. So, just something I just noticed. All of us gave Monty Williams a B plus, A minus. All of us gave James Jones a C plus, B minus. Right? But I forget which one of you it was that said Monty Williams. You got to give him an A if the Suns make the playoffs. So why that does mine, yeah. that was yeah? So why does James Jones not get the same benefit of the doubt? You know, like well, I think if why? the Suns make the playoffs, you you would give James Jones an A, right? I mean, okay, so so I mean, are you bumping James Jones up from a B minus to an A? Because the Suns, like Andrew said, Suns are two games out of the eighth seed. Is a two-game difference the difference between a B- and an A? Yeah, I think so. At the end of the season, yeah. Uh, I think that's a fair thing to, to say. I think what's really hard about judging specifically James Jones and even Monty Williams at this point is that, well, actually, it's more of a problem for James Jones. The team that James Jones built, and we, we Sam, you know we've had this conversation 10 times already, was specifically built to be around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. That was the team that we needed to see. Uh, we talked about how they mortgaged, they, they sort of had the idea of they, this team doesn't need stars, it has two stars already. Let's build the team around these two stars and the entire future of what the, the team can be is on those two guys' shoulders. So with James Jones, you're judging the real moves he made is based on like an 11 game sample size and really not even that uh, because of the in, in and out of the lineups for a lot of these guys. So, well... I think that James Jones could be a higher uh, grade there. It's actually kind of hard for me, at least. It was kind of hard to judge him at this point uh, because of the small sample size that we've seen with the but, actual full roster. Right, but say like say the Suns make the playoffs, right? And James Jones doesn't make any moves. The Suns just really click in the second half, and I don't know if that's as much as like he gets a boost because when the Suns, I think they were around 15 wins a few weeks ago, and James Jones was talking about how they were they were doing better than they thought they'd be doing, which is like. When I heard that, I was like, uh, I don't think fourth year what, is fourth year Devin Booker, fifth, fourth, fifth, fifth year, fifth, fifth year yeah. Devin Booker, fifth year Devin Booker, second year DeAndre, and you're like, you're happy about being 15 and like, I think it was like 2020 at the time. Like, I think there's a difference between Monty getting like the, the grade boost because he's in that locker room every day and he's like having impact on these players and he's leading them. Whereas James Jones, if the Suns just turn up a notch, it's not because James Jones thought the current team can make the playoffs, you know? It's because he was happy with how they were, and if they didn't make the playoffs, it was fine. 
But if the Suns just elevated their play, it's not. I don't think it's that much because of James Jones as much as it would be because of Monty Williams. Well, I guess part of it is Dario Saric, using Dario Saric, who, of, of course, we're going to talk about later as an example here. Dario Saric's advanced uh, stats started to tank right before DeAndre Ayton came back, and that's why we saw uh, the Baton lineup starting. It's, it's because uh, the team had clearly lost faith in Dario Saric, but all of a mm-hmm. sudden you see Dario Saric next to DeAndre Ayton now that they're starting together, and it makes more sense. You start to understand why Dario Saric is on this team once again, as we all expected. And I think that's the hard part with... I guess it's just hard. This team had a a player with 25 games not played due to something that was not an injury. Uh, So it's just really hard to grade the offseason on that when there's such a large chunk of... Like, what would the record be if DeAndre Ayton played? At first, I thought it wouldn't be a massive difference, but watching the way the team has played with DeAndre Ayton, you could easily see a lot of those games that were close being wins... Uh, with uh, DeAndre Ayton playing. So that's what made it difficult for me, but I definitely understand that perspective. But Sam, if they made the playoffs, what would your grade for James Jones be? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes up a little, but I just don't think you can boost him that much. I kind of agree with Andrew. I don't think you can boost him that much for, let's say, a two-game rise in the standings. I think it's kind of more... Like, this team still has a lot of players on the roster that just flat-out can't shoot. They can't hit open shots. And so we see Monty's offense generating the most wide-open threes in the NBA. And that, to me, is proof that Monty's system works. He's optimizing the players to the best of his ability. It's James Jones's uh, job to, to go out and get guys who have the right skill set. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, I brought up the question because I wanted to see why there was that gap. Um, but I think Monty just gets a little bit more benefit of the doubt when it comes to this. I think it's been 10 years. It's been 10 years since the Suns <laughs> made the playoffs. And Do not just 10 years. 10 of the worst possible years that you can have for a franchise to the point where the Phoenix Suns, who were once beloved, everyone in the entire NBA community's second favorite team, if they weren't your favorite team, became a laughingstock. And if a general manager can take a team from a laughingstock to the playoffs in a single season, it'd be hard for me to not give him an A, even if there are things that he could have done better. Just because of the cultural impact and the the sort of perception around the league that that would have, uh, it'd be hard for me not to give that guy an A, I think. Uh, let's go to the players. Let's start with the bench, and then we'll get to the starters at the end of this podcast. So if you're waiting for uh, some talk on Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, you're going to have to wait just a little longer. <laughs> yeah, go to 42 minutes and 13 seconds. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm just like, <laughs> uh, we'll see. We're going to have a these conversations are going to take a while. I'm going to start. I'm going to start with mine. And we. I started with Aaron Baines here. I want to start with Aaron Baines first because I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. I actually gave Aaron Baines a B plus, and I want to say why. B plus is kind of a higher grade than I think would represent the way that he's been playing lately. Aaron Baines has been struggling to defend and he's been struggling to hit shots. This is an example of a player that I didn't want to let what he did in the first 10 games of the season overly impact what I uh, graded him on here because he was essentially one of the best centers in the NBA for like an 11 game stretch at the beginning of the season. He just was by, uh, by all metrics, an excellent defender and one of the most versatile offensive guys uh, at that position. He was essentially uh, Brooke Lopez, what Brooke Lopez does for the bucks for a while here. And he's not necessarily a B plus on the court at the beginning of the season. I talked about how I was suspicious of the idea that Aaron Baines could all of a sudden teach 
DeAndre Ayton physicality and screen setting. I just thought, I just thought, okay, cool. Yeah, a teammate can have a difference, but ultimately it's up to the player and it's up, for, up to the coach. I've kind of backed off on that a little bit. Uh, the way that DeAndre Ayton sets screens now looks like Aaron Baines. Like it looks just like the way Aaron Baines sets screens. And Aaron Baines, one of his main skills is setting screens. And you can kind of actually see the impact that Aaron Baines has had on DeAndre Ayton and the way he's playing. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit for that with my B plus grade. But I think what I expected out of Aaron Baines was 10 to 15 minutes a game of backup centers where he set screens for Devin Booker to shoot mid-range shots, which he still does. And I think if he continues to do that well, then he'll be fine. I do think his defense around the rim needs to improve in order for that kind of grade to stay where it is by the end of the season. But I think the impact that he's had on DeAndre Ayton raised that grade a little bit for me. Sam, what do you think about Aaron Baines? I'm going with a B, so just a little bit lower than you. And I just think it was so critical for the Suns to get out to that 7-4 and four start, regardless of what the reason was. You know, obviously Baines wasn't ever going to stay a 50% three-point shooter all season long, so maybe got a little bit lucky. But that just gave the Suns something to play for without DeAndre Ayton. And I think when you talk about uh, Baines being this veteran presence who actually wants to be here and is willing to teach some of these younger players, uh, the Suns being 7-4 and four and giving the team the confidence to believe that they could make the playoffs has a lot to do with that, as opposed to say, you know, like Tyson Chandler in theory was a great veteran to teach some young guys on this team, but then maybe the Suns started out 3-10 and 10 in the season and it was very easy for him to give up. Same goes for Trevor Reza last year. Um, but the other thing with Baines, obviously right now he's playing poorly. Uh, there's no sugarcoating it. Like at this point, Sheck Diallo might be better in those minutes. Honestly, you can make a case. And Baines is actually doubtful for the game against the Spurs tomorrow. So we might see Diallo in those backup spots. Um, but I think it's important to note, Aaron Baines played 800 minutes all of last season for the Boston Celtics. This season, he came in after having played FIBA uh, in the summer. And he's already just under 800 minutes for this season halfway through. So, you know, we're talking about a 33-year-old who is shouldering a much heavier load than he's used to. Uh, A guy who is used to being a backup on a contending team last season and now has come in and has literally just played a lot more minutes. So I think that really impacts kind of the the regression that we're seeing from him. Um, And, you know, I'm not that worried about it. This is how he's playing now is basically just what we expected him to play like. So I feel pretty comfortable with a B. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what do you think? I also had to be. I'm not just copying you guys. I just I was I was worried <laughs> that my grades were gonna be dumb. <laughs> but no, you said it being I feel good. No, it kind of what what Mike said was like it's kind of weird. It's kind of hard to grade like Aaron Baines just because like he's just randomly like a top five center in basketball for no reason like <laughs> at all for two weeks, and then like obviously he got hurt with you know he got hit with the injuries. So it it kind of like you know Jalen Brown, down and, one of yeah, a Celtics yeah, player yeah. took him out by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and like. Nobody expected him to be an all-star player to continue that play up, but he was playing like an all-star for like for the first like eleven games of the season. So you you take that extreme of how good he was playing, and then you know recently it hasn't been so good. So, but overall, I mean, you have to you have to appreciate what he's done for the Suns, and I think he's a little lower than what I expected right now as his current plays. But I think he's going to pick it up, and obviously he was much much higher than what we thought we were going to get from him, you know, to start the season. And at the end of the day, you know, he's still he's still a good backup center. He knows how to communicate and lead a defense, and he was a huge part in the Suns' start. So I think overall you have to give Baines a B. Uh, at least I have to give him a B, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a fair thing. And here's an idea for any who, anyone who writes that's uh, listening to this. Uh, do a comparison between Aaron Baines' few weeks of stardom to Jeremy Lin. 
<laughs> because that's what it was like. A player that should not have been a star coming out of nowhere and being a star for a few weeks and absolutely carrying a team that shouldn't have been as good as it was. That's what Jeremy Lin did. And in the absence of a star, which is kind of what Jeremy Lin did as well. There's, you can call it Bane Sanity or something. And by the way, if we had to include the Aaron Baines fan club account in this evaluation, obviously we'd all be giving Aaron Baines an A because that was one of the acquisitions of the offseason as well. <laughs> Facts. Here's another interesting one. Frank Kaminsky. Oh, brother. So Frank Kaminsky. Uh, you know what? Sam, you go first on this. One. I'm going to make you go first on the Frank Kaminsky one. Yeah, dude. I mean, we got to breeze through some of these bench ones. Frank's like fine. He's fine. He's, he's fine. not good. No, he's he gets not good. a C. He gets a C. He came in. He's oh averaging God. ten points per game. He's shooting thirty-five percent on his threes. He's a traffic cone on defense. But we knew that 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 was going to be the case coming in. Uh, I feel like this is the one where a lot of Suns fans are going to hear it and they're going to be like, "Oh, Frank sucks. Give him an F." But he's just average. He's just Frank. Andrew, what do you think? You got you sound like you were some shocked at that. So you better no, be- no, no. I I feel like I'm pretty I'm pretty fucking smart because I said I said C too. Like you guys are super smart. I give him a C Stop. too. I, I I said uh I'm like. I feel like he's just everybody like Kaminsky does anything. He's like, dude, like, God damn it, Kaminsky. Like, <laughs> like anything he does is just like that. And it's kind of easy to be that guy when he's just like unathletic and misses every layup ever. But when you think about it, like, <clears throat> you know, what what's he making? I think five million, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's making five million. So he wasn't supposed to be, he wasn't supposed to get, you know, he wasn't supposed to take that role. Like we didn't yeah, expect him to spend for 25 <laughs> games. He was starting yeah. games. He was hitting big shots. And at the end of the day though, he's Frank Kaminsky. Yeah. So like, if you expect more out of Frank Kaminsky, that's your fault, and that's like that's why some people get disappointed. Yeah, the reason I was never disappointed is because I never like, I mean, outside of like 2014 when I compared Kaminsky to Pal Gasol when I was like in a Facebook group, like <laughs> I never had expectations for Kaminsky. But like 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 Sam said, he's fine. Like okay, like he's Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, he's a C. I actually even I went even higher. I gave him a B minus, and and here's what I'll say: the reason I gave him a B minus, I expected him to be terrible. And I think that he's been slightly better than terrible. And I think one of the reasons... That's all we can ask for. Yeah. Slightly better than terrible should be a <laughs> tattoo on Frank Kaminsky's back. Uh, because that's about as good as he's going to get. And with Frank Kaminsky, I think one of the reasons his grade is higher than I would have expected it to be sort of when I thought about it when I was putting together my notes for this is because of how bad the offense has been when Devin Booker was off the court for the last few games. So bad. It's so bad. And I looked it up. I looked up some stats when, when Devin Booker's off the court, but Frank Kaminsky's on. It's still a net negative, but it's nothing like it is right now. Frank Kaminsky affected the offense in a positive way when he was on the floor. He still affected the <laughs> defense in a negative way, but the overall impact was better than most of the players that are on the floor when Devin Booker is off the floor currently. And he also had that one performance in Mexico where he just randomly turned to Dirk, Yeah, which we should have won. Yeah. Well, that can, so, that can happen like, with That could have been a game that the Suns should have won like if it wasn't for, you know, the Spurs fouling Rubio and then Listen, yeah, that oh, just, like that. That's a win that Frank Kaminsky as like before the season. If somebody told you, yeah, Frank Kaminsky's probably going to add a win to the Suns, like yeah, I, I'd bet against that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And if you look at the guys on the team, Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, Tyler Johnson, Elliot Kobo, Javon Carter, Czech Diallo, Cameron Johnson, Ty Jerome, Mikhail Bridges. Now outside of Mikhail Bridges, that's our entire bench. None of those guys are capable of becoming Dirk for for a day. There Ex- was except for Frank. It's really just <laughs> right. Frank that's and true. maybe Aaron Baines goes- once in a while. It goes back to James Jones, too, because when you have games like they've had the past couple games, you don't have Kaminsky, you don't have Cam Johnson, you don't have Kelly Oubre. There's no fucking wings on this roster. There, there was a lineup against Boston. Where was Devin Booker at power forward with Akobo, Ty Jerome, and Javon Carter? Yes, exactly. 
Like yeah. that's that's the kind of that's the kind of shit we're throwing out right now <laughs> off the bench. You know, so 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 Frank Kaminsky obviously like yeah, he's he has his flaws, but at some point you got to get a little bit of bench production and at the very least he can usually hit an open shot. And you know what? He's a, he's a punching bag for this for the fans of this team a little bit. And you know my theory, Sam, it's because he just looks kind of goofy. And I think if you look kind of goofy and you're making a mistake, it doubles down on the amount of criticism that you're going to take. It's not like, like when Kelly Oubre makes a mistake, it's still like, it's still like a model on a, on a catwalk. Like it's not that ugly when it happens. He just does some pushups on the floor. Uh, but when Frank Kaminsky does it, he looks he looks like a cartoon character making a mistake. So it's like it's it's a little bit worse, and I think people pile on a little too much. Frank Kaminsky is not a great player. He's slightly better than than dog shit. So that's that's fine. <laughs> Let's go to a player that's been pretty bad too, and we can quickly talk about this because I actually feel bad for him. Tyler Johnson, I gave him a D. Let's just start with the letter grades. Uh, what did you give Tyler Johnson, Andrew? Just the letter grade only. Um, D plus because. He he was pretty nice for like three quarters this year. I'm like, damn, like, he could shoot. Like he he reworked his whole shot and like that Sacramento game. I'm like, yeah. I, and then like my brain is so tiny that like all I have to see is like one quarter of a new season. And then I'm like, okay, this is a completely different. Oh, he's player. gonna be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no, he, no, he's good now. Because if he had done it at the end of the last season, like, oh, he sucks. But like it's a new season, so yeah, Tyler Johnson's good now. So instantly, I had full faith in Tyler Johnson's shot and his ability to lead this team. <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, it hasn't it hasn't resulted uh, in further success after that. But yeah, a D, and I feel like David Nash gets mad at me. I love David Nash, but he was getting mad at me the other day because I was tweeting some not nice things about Tyler Johnson. <laughs> but for no reason, he just tries you, to take over the Hawks game. We're dude, we're like thirty minutes into this podcast, and you've thrown the smoke at both Max and David. No, 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 no! Stop, stop, stop! No, you guys are gonna edit it, and then it's gonna be like, oh fuck, Max! Like, no, no I love those guys. I love those guys, but they just—I think they get annoyed with me. I'm a little immature, but you know, it happens. <laughs> me too, uh, Sam. What do you think of Tyler? This is—it's uh, an F. Because, because here's the thing, dude. Again, it was about preseason expectations. I, yeah. I like Tyler Johnson as a person, but I went into the season, and I remember I said on a podcast, I for, we had some guest, I forget who it was, but I was like, maybe it was Max actually. Um, and I was like, do you guys think Tyler Johnson could be sixth man of the year? Like, I brought that up as a question. Uh, and that that just sounds so absurd now to even bring that up. You know, it's so, funny. Yeah, that he, race is actually pretty wide open, too. At the, you know, I, I looked yeah. at it a little bit for this midseason, and it is kind of wide open. And I, this is the worst grade. This is the worst grade tied with another player that, I, that I'm giving as well. So it, it may as well be an F for me as well. It's just it's really hard with Tyler because there's two things one it would be nice if he was playing well because this team doesn't have a backup shooting guard and really no consistent backup point guard as well so a glaring hole in backup guards and tyler johnson the guy that's a veteran who's making 19 million dollars this year is not playing well and that's really difficult but the other part that sucks with tyler johnson playing badly is that he would be a nice trade piece right now and you got to imagine if he was just a serviceable backup guard that would be a lot more valuable to trade because teams that are trading for an expiring contract have to sell something to their to the fans of the team. They're not right, just going to yeah. tell them, hey, this guy's going to expire and then we'll sign somebody this offseason. They have to say, oh, we're really excited to have Tyler Johnson. He's been on some good teams. He was playing well this season and I think he can contribute. They're not going to trade for Tyler Johnson if all of their fans are going to look up his stats this year and throw up in their mouths. That's not something that we want to happen. So with Tyler Johnson, it just it sucks for multiple reasons. One, I like the guy, and I want him to play well. And two, 
he's he's it's going to be hard to trade him um, to a team that's not like the Hawks or somebody that's just desperate for cap space no matter what. Uh, so too bad for Tyler Johnson. Let's move on to a backup guard that's actually getting more minutes lately than before. Uh, Ellie Okobo. Um, Ellie Okobo. Sam, why don't you go first on Ellie? What did you give Ellie? Yeah, I'm going B- minus on Ellie. Um, I think he's shown some strides since last year. I think a lot of my faith in him is still... Uh, not really grounded in like facts like he had he had one start against I think it was Houston a few weeks ago uh, when Ricky Rubio was out and he started next to Devin Booker I was like in theory Elliot Kobo would be so good next to Devin Booker because you see him put the ball on the floor sometimes and he can actually get to the rim and score he you know he's got a kind of quick first step he, he tries to be aggressive and he's also got that outside shot and in that game, he had like 17 points, four rebounds, four assists. And I was like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This could be the guy. He could morph into what I wanted Tyler Johnson to be for this team. Yeah. And maybe going forward, that's going to be what he is. And then it didn't It didn't really materialize right. at all. Right. That's kind of the only good game he's had all season, to be honest with you. So yeah. like, I still see the flashes sometimes, but it's like it's great that he wants to be aggressive, and then he goes and gets blocked at the rim. Uh, so, you know, you, you got to weigh the pros and cons. I'm still going to give him a B minus because I just like the fact that, you know, maybe he could be something worth uh, developing in the future, but he's not great. Andrew, what do you think? Uh, I'd probably say like a C plus. And that doesn't sound great, but like, you know, we didn't like coming into the season. I really had zero expectation for, yeah, for Okobo. Same. Like from the way last year ended and then summer league didn't even look great. And that's like, you'd, you'd want somebody like Okobo to look good in summer, in summer league. And, you know, it wasn't happening. So coming to the season, it was pretty much like it was a zero for me. But I've seen some flashes and I think part of me just wants him to be like baby Jodrick so bad. Where like I see the flash <laughs> and like, oh my God, when he's confident, he's got a nice handle and he can get by people. But then. He shoots threes and he shoots them to the moon and then they never he never makes them. But sometimes he makes them and it looks pretty. And then you, you start envisioning like, okay, this guy starts putting a little confidence. He could be kind of what this team needs from a six man like in terms of like, you know, he's a point guard. He he likes to get his teammates involved even though he doesn't always go about it the, the best way. And you know, he can be aggressive, but like Sam says, sometimes he just goes at a seven-footer and gets blocked and then they're on a fast break. <laughs> I, at the beginning of the season, we did our superlatives podcast and I gave Elia Kobo the most likely to fail <laughs> tag. So my preseason expectations of Elia Kobo were that he was going to get no minutes. I just could not see a situation where we would need Elia Kobo and that's how bad, that's how dire the backup guard situation is for this team. So just based on how little I expected of him, I'm giving him a B plus. I don't think he's playing like a B plus player. But I expected less of him, and I think he's actually doing well. And now, just a point on his three-point shot, he hasn't, you know, he's taken 48 shots this year, but he's second on the team behind Cameron Johnson in three-point percentage. Now, that is a symptom of how bad this team is at shooting three-pointers as much as it is how well he's doing at shooting threes. But it's still nice to have a guy that's a little bit of a relief valve. If he's, like, wide open in those bench lineups, he can hit that three, and uh, that's nice to have. So... That is still, no matter what we talk about on this podcast, a position that needs to be upgraded if this team expects to make the playoffs. And, and you know, that's something that could happen in the next few weeks. But just based on how low, how little I expected of him, uh, I'm just going to give him that B+. Plus. Um, let's talk quickly about Javon Carter. We don't have to say much. I gave him a C. I think he's been <laughs> fine. I didn't expect much, and I'm not really getting much. He can't really play offense. Uh, what do you think, Andrew? 
Uh, I like Javon Carter because whenever you tweet his name, you get like a hundred likes and like a bunch of people like, follow you, and you have his mom like retweeting you. So the Mountaineers, Javon- people with yeah, Mountaineers in their bio, will, yeah, will show want, up in yo, your mentions. Listeners, if you want some free clout, just tweet like Javon Carter is a beast. He's changing the game out there, and then it's easy clout. But no, like you said, he's been fine. Probably a, a D minus. I'd say a D plus. You know, he's shown some things where you know you appreciate the effort and. Yeah. It was cool when you hyped up the crowd that one time. And, like, <laughs> that's pretty much like what do you take from Javon Carter? A plus bench celebrator. A plus. And you yeah. see his shot, yeah. and you see his shot, you're like, like, for some reason, he's like a weird guy where I'm just like, I feel like that shot's going to go in every time, just yeah. the way he shoots it. And, like, he has confidence. But, I mean, he, he's, he, like you said, he's fine. And for a fourth string point guard, he, he's, he's, he's fine. He's whatever. Yeah. 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 Sam, what do you think? I gave him a C. I just want to go back a second. It's so funny that it's just so true. The entire state of West Virginia is like right there in your mentions. The yeah. second you mention Javon. And, and like we on this podcast, you know, we've interviewed both Rashawn Holmes. We haven't gotten a player, but we've interviewed Rashawn Holmes' mom and Ty Jerome's dad. And so like for our Christmas, we were debating if we should do a Christmas episode this year and we should ask Javon Carter's mom. But but she kind of just like scares me. So we chickened out and we didn't even try. Oh, she was um, she was she was liking like like old takes exposing my tweets when I was like John Carter stinks and then uh, somebody <laughs> was and then he had like two threes and then like ah you see that he's actually pretty good and then she was just liking everything. see that idiot I, yeah. I, so just like I'd like to declare that I have beef with Javon Carter's mom so <laughs> that just so that's clear I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm sorry. The thing is about Javon Carter's mom, and we talked about it before, she's not a fan of the Suns. She's not a fan of the NBA. She's just a fan of Javon Carter. And I like that about her. I think that's appropriate. There's something gritty about that. Yeah, like you're that. a well, you mom. should be a fan of your of your kid. You're, yeah, yeah. That's all. but that's all. You know, I think with Rashawn Holmes' mom, Laedicia, she... Dr. Lydicia, she was a fan. She's a fan of the whole NBA. She knows the players. She likes to talk her. about them. She likes to talk about what she thinks, how she thinks teams should play. Like she has strategic thoughts and stuff like that. But, and I'm sure Javon Carter's mom does as well. But what she's out there, she's got an agenda. Her agenda is to pump up her boy, her son. Oh, yeah. I, you got to love that. I mean, I, I just. I just wish either of my parents stand our podcast with the same energy. <laughs> Can Javon you imagine? Mom. Like commenting on <laughs> podcast tweets from other podcasts. Yeah, this podcast is fine, but have you heard the timeline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish like my mom would just get on Twitter like when somebody's like Angelis is fucking dumb. I'm like hey, like go like tweets. Like go be like, "Oh, actually, he's pretty cool actually." When you, get when, you home, when you have a good tweet, they go like the, the Yeah, good tweet. It gets like, it gets like 200 likes. Hey, look at this. Hashtag or at we'll take dispose, dude. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get. We got a few more bench players. Uh, Check Diallo. He hasn't played much. I gave him a B. He's been slightly better than I expected. Sam, what did you give him? I gave him a B plus because I kind of just expected him to take up space, like be one of those tall for nothing bodies. Um, I think he's, he's been a touch. little bit better than. That. I think he's yeah. He's got that touch out to like ten feet. He's got that floater. I think he can protect the rim. He hit more uh, threes than Aiton. <laughs> he's hit more threes than Aiton. He's hit more threes than Aiton. It's a fact, uh, and it looked pretty too. It did. The one he made looked can, really good. Can, can I make a quick note? I'm not trying to take shots at anybody, but our fa- our favorite shirtless man on Twitter, um, right after that three that Diallo made, it was the funniest tweet because I just saw him tweet that the Suns have a bunch of shooters that can make threes, and he said Diallo because Diallo made one like funky looking <laughs> corner three, and he's just a three point shooter now. That was so funny to me. <laughs> Uh, uh yeah i mean he's fine like he's be, uh, it's hard to give him a negative grade right you can't i mean what did you have him as uh andrew i had him a c minus but only because like i don't know what to give him like yeah. i don't want to give him a c plus because he hasn't had have we gone into sarge 
No. No. Starters will okay. be next. Yeah. I definitely didn't give Sarge a C plus. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't want to give him a C plus because I didn't want to give something close to Sarge or Baines because he hasn't had that impact. It's not because you know he doesn't have the ability or or whatever. But it's just because he hasn't had the opportunity. So it, it was kind of yeah. just like a kind of like an incomplete almost. Just yeah. He's played two hundred and thirty four minutes uh, this season. He's you know less than Javon Carter, less than DeAndre Ayton already. So like, yeah, how are we really gonna judge? Uh, him so far he's fine he's fine i'm glad to have him as a backup if, if one of the guys like like for example in the spurs game uh if aaron baines doesn't play it's nice to have diallo there i i don't think he's going to be terrible which is kind of nice to have i actually liked when him and nokobo would get run together i thought they like they had like a couple games in denver where they were just like a kobo and diallo were on the floor together and they're making plays so i thought they're I, I think i think diallo deserves more playing time and especially if baines you know if he doesn't pick it up soon like I think there's something there with Diallo. Look, if it's if it's between playing Diallo and Baines together or playing four guards, I'll take more Diallo minutes. <laughs> Let's. I just, mean, Andrew know. Andrew brings up a good point. I don't think we mentioned all season. Diallo has a team option for next year. That's right. Uh, he's not a free agent, so he might be worth. You know, I mean, he's he's 23 years old. I'd have to like double check uh, double check and look it up. But like that could be something worth keeping around and developing next year. Aaron Baines isn't going to be here next year potentially. Uh, probably if once we're being once honest. the team maxes him, so so keeping Diallo around for like what two million dollars next year and making him your full time backup center if he proves that he he deserves it, uh, that's worthwhile. Yeah, and he's had a couple games where he's like seventeen and ten, twelve and yeah. eleven. Like players that just think don't do that. Like there's something yeah. there. With, I don't know if he's good. I don't know if he's good, but I don't know if he's impactful. But I know that there's something there. And, I think it's worth a shot to see what we have. Well, I think what's interesting is exactly how we're talking about Czech Diallo now. That's how 76ers fans were talking about Rashawn Holmes before he came mm-hmm. to the Phoenix Suns. Guys like that can break out later in their career if they just find space to score and continue to be high energy uh, guys who can test shots and get rebounds. And this team it lacks in athleticism, and Czech Diallo is an athletic player. So hopefully he does get more minutes going down the stretch in this season, and we can see a little bit more of what we can get out of him. So that team option would be interesting. So we got some rookies now. Let's start with Cameron Johnson. I'll go first with Cameron Johnson. I gave Cameron a B minus. I think that what we expected out of him was to be an excellent shooter. I wanted to give him a higher grade, but the thing is, is if you draft the oldest player in the draft, they have to basically look like an NBA player right away. And while he doesn't look like a like a terrible NBA player, he's still not quite better than a lot of the rookies out there. I think he does have an obvious NBA skill in his shooting. And I think his defense, his footwork, his ability to keep up with guys uh, on the defensive end of the floor has been better than I expected. I also love the occasional Cameron Johnson offensive rebound. I like the way he sneaks in there. He's good at using his body. He's got lots of control. Um, but, I, you know, I just couldn't quite get higher than a B- minus for him. Um, but that's where I'm at with Cameron Johnson. I'm happy with him. I think that there's so many other players that I would have drafted ahead of him still. And that's affecting my grade a little bit. I think it'll be easier. It's difficult with rookies to grade them after half of a season, right? Uh, this this could easily change by the end of the year, and it will definitely change by the end of next year. So who knows what he will be? I'm not disappointed. Sam, what do you think about Cameron? Uh, I gave him a B plus. I mean, I don't know. The way people talked about him coming out of the draft, it was like best shooter in the draft. But I almost felt like he was framed in this conversation as if he was... Uh, Troy Daniels or something like he could do literally nothing else and I think you touched on it but I've been impressed with his ability to get offensive rebounds you know he bails out DeAndre Ayton sometimes DeAndre Ayton will take a stupid mid-range shot Cam Johnson will sneak in there for a putback dunk uh, is something that we saw a couple nights ago Mm -hmm. and uh, his defense and footwork has been better 
So I'm happy with the B plus here, and he's just saved this rotation with 40% three-point shooting on a roster that otherwise really can't hit shots. <laughs> uh, so he's just been a high-level player. I liked Brandon Clark. Uh, again, I, I mentioned that already, but you know, trying to think of other players that I actually would have wanted above uh, Cam Johnson, I think P.J. Washington uh, would have been a cool get as a power forward. But other than that, uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where the Suns ended up. Andrew, what do you think? I gave him a C plus. I just, I mean, he started off the season really well, and but he, like obviously recently he's just kind of hit a wall a little bit, and he's he's trying to break out of that. But I mean, I I mean, I like what I see so far. He's he's a great shooter. He actually has a little more athleticism than I thought he had. Yeah, like like you said with the pullback dunks and like like he he has a little more bounds than I thought. But I give him a C plus just because there's still obvious concerns, you know, with his defense. Like who can he actually guard? And then like. What does he do on offense besides besides shooting threes? You know, he's got the occasional like back cut, backdoor cut. But I saw somebody tweeted, and I thought it was something. I'm like, I don't get how such a great shooter like Cam Johnson just steps like a foot inside a three point line and he can't make like a mid range shot. Like, I, he just needs to like improve that part of his game. Like, obviously, we don't expect him to be book and just you know, yeah, but he needs a, a mid range right. monster. But he needs to be yeah. able to. He needs to be some sort of threat outside of the threes, and that's why it's a little concerning. Mm. But all in all, like. C plus, I just I think he's been solid. Like I don't think he's been like just fine. I think he's been like pretty solid. He's helped the Suns in some games, and I think he's what you expect from Cam Johnson. Yeah, I'm not disappointed in Cameron. Um, I am disappointed in Ty Jerome so far. I this this I don't want to spend too long on Ty Jerome because it kind of hurts me. I really 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 wanted him to be good, and he's entirely out of the rotation right now. And I don't think how that, many games has he played? I don't think like that 10? anyone's complaining that he's entirely out of the rotation. He's played 13 games, 142 okay. minutes, basically the least of anybody on the team so far. Um, shooting 32 percent from the field, 30 percent from uh, free throws. Just clearly not in NBA shape yet and and it's gonna take a lot to get him in nba shape and i think he's capable he's got the brain for it but he does not have the body he's not fast enough and he doesn't have the strength to keep up with a lot of people that he's trying to guard as soon as he steps in the floor you see the eyes widen on the best offensive player on the other team and they're like give me that guy i'm going right at him i gave him a d Uh, i don't want to give him a d i want him to be good i hope that he can get in a little bit better shape and I actually do hope that he plays well enough to sneak into the rotation a little bit towards the end of this year. Maybe if the Suns actually get up in some of these games ever, uh, we get to see a little more Ty Jerome, but that's every game is close now, so that's not really happening. Andrew, what do you think about Ty? I, I give him a D-, minus, and the only reason it's not an F is because he had that one game in Charlotte on his debut where he made it seem like he was going to be the best player of all time. He had like four assists, <laughs> like two four steals, steals yeah. a three in like, and in like two minutes. Yeah. But More assists that, than Nash's debut or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he, he looked great, and I remember people were saying, "Just wait till, just wait till Ty Jerome comes back." And I was one of those people, like, "Oh, well, we had our backup point guard, and I definitely expected him to be much better than he is right now." Like you said, like you were talking about Cam, you're taking one of the older players in the draft. Like they need to be one of the best players in the draft, like the next season. So, and and Ty hasn't been that. His athleticism is a huge concern. His creation skills are a huge concern. He's his his defense is a huge concern. So yeah, I, I say a D minus, and like I'm rooting for him, and he's a smart player. But you, he has everything that concerns me with him is what concerned people before the draft with him is that can, does he have as much athleticism as you need to make up for, you know, to make like 
in college, it was still kind of like iffy if like he could get past people, and so you get to the NBA, and it's like we know everybody's a great athlete in the NBA, and I don't think he's at least his skill. His skill so far hasn't shown to outweigh like his negatives that he has in yeah in his athleticism. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's unfortunate. It makes me sad. I hope he succeeds later in his career. Uh, the last bench player we're going to talk about. Hey, I didn't get to give my grade. Oh, asshole. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I no, know. I know your grade already. So Wait, I wasn't also, gonna. Also, I, I want to get. Can you guys want? You guys want to know something like exclusive? Yes. So people forget I made the song called Kelly Oubre. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I made that song <laughs> before I started writing that. I was writing a song called Ty Jerome, and that shit would have aged like fucking milk. That would have been <laughs> hey, so bad. That was that was a good one. That was a good one. Oh uh, yeah, I meant to say that totally, 100. But uh, yeah, no, just a little exclusive timeline podcast. Um, uh, you can say it. You guys we'll play it at the end of this podcast if you want. You guys said it best. I gave him a D. We can move on. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> Trust me, you you much rather would want to talk about Mikhail Bridges, who's next. Um, Facts. In fact, go ahead and start. Mikhail Bridges. Yeah, I mean, Mikhail got an A minus, and I think the only reason I prevented myself from giving him an A was because I was trying to remind myself that one game where he hits six threes doesn't mean that his shot is fixed. Although I have no idea what happened last night because the shot looked way better in general. It just like didn't have the same hitch, you know. Um, but I still give him uh, an A minus. He's like. Such an impactful player. Advanced stats love him. He's first on this entire roster in player impact plus minus. He's second in VORP. He's third in true shooting. He's third in win shares. Uh, he's the first non-big man to play for the Suns since Sean Marion to have as high of a defensive box plus minus as he does. He's just like, he's such an impactful player. I don't really know what else to say. Like We've been talking about his strengths all season long. Now that the shot comes back and now that you can actually see the gravity of a Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton pick and roll in action, uh, he's going to have tons of wide open spot up opportunities. He just needs to hit it, and if he hits it, that's a scary proposition for the rest of the league. What do you think, Andrew? I give him a B plus, and I, like I wrote down, just like his shot is one of the things that's like holding him back. And like, and, and I'm the same way as Sam, man. Like I saw that last game, and now <clears throat> I mentioned how my brain's tiny. So now I'm just expecting him to make six threes in every game, or else I just don't like him anymore. But no, like obviously he's he's a great defender. He's like he's like an elite defender in his second year already, and like he doesn't put up the assist numbers or anything. But like you you appreciate how far he's come as a playmaker, and like in terms of the beginning of last season, he's more confident now. You see him sometimes he'll take a rebound and he'll take it coast to coast, and he'll make a play with it. He's such an important piece, and we're gonna talk about Ubre later, but. He's one of the play, like players. When people ask me, like, would you start him over Ubre? And it's just like, how much I I value Mikhail so like so much, but it's like, is he more valuable than what Ubre is for like the chemistry and you know and and Ubre's from Ubre's been playing great too. But no, no, Bridges has been great, and if we see more of that Celtics game, then it's it's not going to be a question as who the Suns should start, obviously. You got a song about Mikhail coming up anytime soon? <laughs> uh, if he makes six threes next game, I'll write a song. I'm holding, if you, I'm holding if you make six threes against the Spurs, six plus threes, I'll write a Mikhail Bridges song. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I had an A for Mikhail Bridges, and here's what I'll say. Uh, would I start him right now? No, I don't know that I would. If he continued to hit threes the way that he's hitting, it'd be impossible not to start him at, at some point because that was crazy. I mean, you see how valuable it is to have a guy that defends like that and can hit threes like that. But one thing I will say, when I see these trade, it's trade season, right? Every single day there's going to be an article written with fake Suns trades. Any sing, anytime I see one that says Mikhail Bridges in it, 
I just say no, 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 no. Sorry. Did you see that tweet from that Boston reporter? Oh no! What did he say? Oh that, yes, yeah. That that said uh, yeah. that McDonough they almost trade Rozier for Bridges, even though McDonough would have had like two months in between. Yeah. After giving up like multiple first round picks to get Bridges, absolutely like, that's, not. That's just literally not true. <laughs> yes, it definitely did not happen. <laughs> it definitely never did happened. not happen. And I think he's confusing someone, another player there, and he just doesn't want to admit it. And the tweet didn't get enough attention, so he probably won't. But it doesn't matter. My point is, I would not trade him. Would I trade Kelly Oubre? Possibly. Like for the right for the right player, possibly. I love both of these guys, but I think the way Mikhail Bridges fills in the gaps, that's how I like to say it. He just fills in the gaps between what other players do. He makes up for mistakes that other players make in a way that nobody else on this team can uh, because of his ability to cover so much ground with his speed and just his length. He's got insanely long arms. He's vital for this team, and I gave him an A. It would have easily been an A-plus had his offense picked up a little earlier. I do like that he's cutting. I do like that he's driving. He hit one of the most important shots of the game yesterday, off dribble fading away like Kyrie Irving. So, you know, he, he's just doing things regularly that he just did not, did not do last year. So I'm really impressed with him so far. I gave him an A. Uh, let's take a quick break. I have a, We have a special segment for you guys, and we're going to come back and talk about the starters. This week in Suns history. The fast-paced, rough-and-ready, always-absorbing and entertaining world of the National Basketball Association and our own Phoenix Suns. On January 22, 1968, the city of Phoenix was officially awarded an NBA franchise. There was no media buildup to the possibility of getting a team, so most Phoenicians were actually surprised when they saw the headlines. Richard Biok, a real estate developer in Tucson, was the catalyst for the formation of an ownership group. When he proposed Phoenix as an expansion team, then-NBA commissioner Walter Kennedy thought he was crazy and said Phoenix will never support pro basketball. Kennedy warmed up to the idea after doing his own informal polling in Phoenix. He said, I talked to half a dozen shoeshine boys and a couple of barbers and some taxi drivers, and I was surprised and gratified at how aware they were of the NBA. I came away with strong feelings that Phoenix was ready. Right before the 1968 All-Star Game, Biak got word that the Board of Governors voted to give Phoenix a franchise in exchange for a $2 million franchise fee. The ownership group hired 28-year-old Jerry Colangelo as the first general manager, and both the group and Jerry stayed in those roles until they sold the franchise to Colangelo's group for $45.5 million in 1987. This segment of the podcast was produced by Cody Hunt. Follow Cody on Twitter, C-O underscore D Hunt. Music is by Calvin Marcus. Follow Calvin Marcus on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Calvin Marcus Marcus M-A-R-K-U-S. All right, let's talk about the starters for the Phoenix Suns. I know you're all waiting for this, and you know, depending on when this podcast aired in the last few weeks, this group of five players could have been completely different than what it is now. But we're going to cover the starters that are starting right now, currently, for the Phoenix Suns, assuming everyone's healthy. And those starters will be Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Dario Saric, and lastly, DeAndre Ayton. Let's start 
with our point guard, Ricky Rubio. I looked up Ricky Rubio before we started doing this. I was looking at the stats for everyone, and I was shocked to see that he had a career high in points and assists. I was surprised, especially about the points. I thought he may have a career high in assists. It's something that I thought may have happened before the season. Still kind of shocked that he has it. He's second in the NBA now in assists, and he is vital. I think the thing is with Ricky Rubio is as good as Devin Booker is, this team, because of the vast hole at point guard that we still have, if Ricky Rubio is not playing, it's going to be really hard to win the game. I mean, they lost against the Hawks, the worst team in the NBA, without Ricky Rubio playing, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that he makes such a massive difference to this team winning games. One, because he's good. Two, because he can pass. But three, because the point guard position is still kind of lacking on this team. So I gave him an A. It's hard for me to be disappointed by him. I actually think he's contributing more to this team than any other player that I expected this offseason. So when I thought, here's what these players are going to do this offseason, Ricky Rubio has gone further beyond those expectations than any other player this season for me. So I had to give him an A. Uh, Andrew, what did you think for Ricky Rubio? I give him an A-. minus. I think it's been a great signing. I'm, I'm glad we can talk about this because the other day I tweeted something about it was during the, uh, I think it was during the Magic game, and he was taking some ill-advised shots, and I was frustrated. I'm like, you know, for someone who's like as smart as Ricky, he does like a lot of dumb stuff in the fourth quarter, and it's a little frustrating. And then after the Suns won, people were going into my mentions, you know, talking about how oh he's actually a great player for this team. And I feel like people thought that I didn't like Ricky on this team, or that, you know, I don't think he's a, like he's impactful, but. It was more so just out of frustration, but Ricky's been great. He's been everything I thought he'd be this year. He's he's been a leader. Like guys on this, like guys on the team really like, respect him. We saw Aiton yesterday in that clip saying how him and Baines are two guys like when when they speak, he really listens. And Ricky's been great. And you know, obviously people get frustrated with the shot, but it, you know that's why he's available because you know he's not a consistent shooter, but he's mm-hmm. just such a good playmaker. And I can't I can't, I can't even like count like how many times he's taking a charge in a big moment or, you know, a team's coming back on the Suns like they often do. And then Ricky <laughs> takes a charge and then can kind of settle the game down a little bit. So he does so many things that are just like that you can't measure and, and they go beyond stats. So I, Ricky's been an A minus. He's, he's been everything I've expected. Even honestly, even a little more. Sam, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I agree with Andrew. I give him an A minus too. And I think Ricky's uh, an amazing playmaker. Obviously his defense also speaks for itself. Hasn't, uh, regress too far despite his age and his mileage but with his offense like obviously you're going to get frustrated at him given the situation James Jones has put him in and honestly given the situation DeAndre Ayton put him in when uh, he was out for the first 25 games just because uh, when Ricky hits shots the Suns win games like two games ago against the Knicks Ricky put up 25 points eight rebounds 13 assists and four steals Uh, And it's no coincidence that the Suns were able to blow the Knicks out. He shot 10 for 18 from the field. He takes those stupid mid-range shots a lot, those long twos. And that's kind of the reason that when Devin Booker comes off the floor, the Suns offense struggles so much because they're playing a losing numbers game when Ricky is just going to that mid-range shot. But that's all he has. So in a game like that against the Knicks where he's hitting that shot and he's on and his offense makes him look like a legitimate third scoring option obviously the Suns are going to look great they're going to win games the problem is Ricky's been in the league long enough that we know that he can't do that every game so it's just it's not fair of us to ask him to be at his age and given what we know about him uh, you know this 20 point per game type score we know he's not a great mid-range shooter that's just the job of uh, the GM 
to put slightly better pieces around him and kind of maximize what he's able to do in this offense. Uh, but overall, I've still been really happy, and that's why I'm giving him an A uh, an A minus. Yeah, it's just nice to not like worry about that starting point guard position. I think Sam, you and I spoke for so many hours last year about that point guard position. This year it's sort of shifted to the backup guard position and that's a better place to be. Uh, so it's nice to have something solid in that starting uh, lineup. Devin Booker. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, what is there to say <laughs> about He's Devin Booker? Basketball. He's really good, good at basketball. Really good. Uh, he might make an all-star team good. one day. Yeah, someday he might make an all-star team on all the NBA team. I doubt it, but... He, he could lead... He, <laughs> uh, have you ever been more confident that Devin Booker will lead the league in scoring at some point in his career than you have been in the last like 10 or so games, guys? I mean, come on. He's been absolutely sensational offensively in a way that we've Yo, never seen before on the Phoenix Suns. So here's a stat that blew my mind this week. Um, credit Chris Hansen for this one, actually. And then the my stats girlfriend. up... <laughs> I, I can't tell if that's sarcasm or not. Definitely. The stat updated. This, yeah, dude, we we just have to keep a running list. We're gonna tag all these accounts. <laughs> um, of the guys who have taken two hundred plus shots at the rim or within five feet of the basket this year, the most efficient shooters in the NBA. Here are the top five guys. It's Rashawn Holmes, which that's that's like kind of funny. And obvious. number one is Rashawn Holmes, seventy four percent. But number two, Anthony Davis, seventy three percent. Tied for number three is Devin Booker and Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> and then number five is Luka Doncic just below them. Devin Booker is converting as well at the rim as Giannis this season. It's and insane. as Anthony Davis. He's right there with him. He's converting with the best and the most athletic bigs that the NBA has to offer. And I feel like people aren't talking about it. No. And they really should be because that's just, you know, if his three-point shot just came along a little bit more to the point where you could trust him to shoot in the upper 30s and, like, actually take maybe, you know, six, seven, eight threes per game and not rely so much on the mid-range, where he's also really, really good, to be fair. Um, he's just, he's the complete package, and he's been amazing. A? A, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Andrew? A. I also give him an A. I mean, how could you not, right? Yeah, he's just... He- like I, I watch him sometimes, and like I can't believe like that he, that guy is on our team, you know? Because I grew up watching the Suns, and like I just, you know, Kobe just shit on us, and like, and now to have somebody like that on our team, it's just like so fun. And it's like, but like I genuinely sometimes I can't believe that we have somebody like Devin Booker on our team that's just like, oh yeah, he's averaging. He got off to a slow start, so he's only averaging like damn near like twenty seven points a game and like seven assists and on like the best efficiency and like in the league. So it's like, like I can't believe that that's like, like who he's become. And it's like, it's so fun to watch him. He's just, he's an all star man. If he's not an all star this year, then I will do absolutely nothing because there's nothing I can actually do. But I'll be really upset, <laughs> yeah. and I think he should be an all star. Well, I'll tweet a lot about it, and I will devalue what all star means if it doesn't include we, Devin Booker. That's for sure. We passed uh, Portland in the standings. That helps. Yeah, that does help. I mean, the, the more distance you put between yourself and Portland, Damian Lillard, you can potentially knock him out. And they have Trevor Ariza now, so you you can expect a losing streak by Portland at some <laughs> at some point because that guy does not play winning basketball anymore. Unless they play the Suns and they're down twenty, and then Trevor Reza wants to get like an and one, yeah, and make yeah. like two threes in a row. Yeah, yeah he becomes prime uh, Carmelo Anthony as <laughs> yeah. as Carmelo Anthony becomes a pumpkin, apparently, because he was awful <laughs> against the Phoenix Suns. Here's one thing I'll say about Devin Booker: Imagine if the Suns took Bobby Portis in that draft. It'd be nice. How depressing <laughs> it would be to be a Phoenix Suns fan without Devin Booker, and how important he is to the sanity 
of anyone in the Phoenix area who likes basketball or anyone around the world, in New York specifically, uh, that is a Phoenix Suns fan. I don't think that this podcast, I hear, I'll say it, this podcast would not exist if Devin Booker was not on the Phoenix Suns. I don't think I could talk about this team on a day-to-day basis without somebody like him on the team. So it's impossible to not give him an A. And I think that it's nice that, one, we have all known, right? I knew I knew how good Devin Booker was last year. Andrew, you knew how good he was last year. Sam, I know you knew how good he was last year. Other people are starting to figure it out. And that's kind of nice <laughs> that now when you have a conversation about Devin Booker, it's not us against the world anymore. There's a few of them on our side now. And it's pretty cool to actually win games. Like when I was tweeting the stats about the Celtics, about Booker against the Celtics, and people are like, yeah, but what was his records those four games? I'm like, two and two. Like, that's solid. I'll take that. It's better than him just, like, losing every game because D'Angelo <laughs> Barbosa or Jared Dudley or, you know, Alan Williams just are not good enough to be his teammates, you know? And, like, I love I love those guys, but it's like, Booker finally winning and getting the recognition. And, I mean, it, it's just it's so fun to see because we can get rid of that old tired narrative that it's just empty stats because anybody with a brain that knows basketball knows it's not empty stats with D-Book. That's right. An easy conversation to have right there. This one could be interesting. Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre career year, kind of across the board in every single way. Um, Sam, why don't you start? What, what's, your, what's your grade for Kelly Oubre? Yeah, so again, expectations, right? Like Kelly came into the season. I was totally okay with the two-year contract. Um, and I was like, I think he's going to live up to $15 million a year, but like, I'm not entirely sure. He looked really good for Phoenix in a, in a small stretch of games last year when we were winning. But overall, he was averaging, like, what, 15 and 6 or something last season? Like, he didn't look like a future all-star or anything. I'm going to give Kelly an A because of the career numbers across the board, because of the energy that he's infected into this team, into this fan base, having guys like Andrew write songs uh, about him <laughs> that pop off on, on SoundCloud and Spotify. Um, and, you know, like, just statistically, too, over the past 10 games, this hasn't changed since last week because he missed the past two games. So I talked about it last week, too. But he's averaging, like, 22 and 8. Two steals, 50% from the field, 44% from downtown. That's his past 10 games. You know, those are all-star numbers right there. Mm-hmm. So I, it's hard for me to give Kelly anything other than other than an A for the way he's playing. And he's just still, we'll see what happens when he gets back, which hopefully will be tomorrow. But he's on this trajectory right now of uh, maybe he even can be that number three guy for the Suns going forward. And maybe he is looking at a really, really good contract extension, a really lucrative contract extension when he's a free agent again next summer. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I have an A minus. Like, it's funny because with Kelly, when you think about it, that's why I think so. So many fans are so quick to say you know, they'll start bridges over him because when you think of just Kelly as a player, you know, sometimes you know you'd wish he's a better playmaker. You'd wish you know, he, you wish he did some some things differently. He's not the perfect player by any means, but you can't explain what he does when he's out there. He's the emotional leader of the team. Anytime they need to stop, you see, it feels like he gets a, he takes a charge, he gets a steal. And this year, he's he's averaging what eighteen points a game. The last ten games, he's averaging about I think he's averaging twenty one point eight points, eight point two rebounds, one point eight steals over the last ten, and he's shooting like forty four percent from three. Yeah. And like like he's turning into like a real player. Like it's not just like oh, he's an emotional leader, and you know that's all he is. He's turned into an emotional leader that's like. On on like sixty seventy percent of the nights, he can go toe to toe with Book in terms of like being that sidekick that Booker needs. And I mean, he's been awesome, man. A minus. I love Kelly Oubre. He's he's just the best. You guys convinced me. I had B. I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up to an A. You guys are right. He, here's the one thing I think Andrew, you had a great point there where you talked about how easy it is to focus on the things that he does not do well. 
because the things that he doesn't do well are, are kind of frustrating sometimes. And that's falling asleep on guys who are cutting back door, things like that. That, that, that drives me crazy, you know, but I gave Devin Booker an A, so, uh, <laughs> I can't really, <laughs> Good point. yeah. But the other thing is driving into some guys and not seeing the pass at all. And just, and, 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 you know, if you don't get calls, which the Suns players don't really get calls, uh, that's that's essentially a turnover. You know, it's it's a missed shot, but it's basically a turnover. You're you're missing out on some shots. But the things that he does well, uh, he does really well. Transition. He's one of the best transition players uh, in the NBA. But also the emotional side of the game, the the sort of chemistry, the 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 ability to bring guys up and raise their energy level. That's something that I've always appreciated. And you know, PJ Tucker, one of my favorite players for the Suns that played in this like worst stretch of the of the Suns ever. Uh, he was like that too. He was a guy that just raised people around him, even though he wasn't averaging the type of numbers that like even Kelly Oubre is averaging. So I'm going to bump that up to an A. I, I totally get it. I, and, and the other part that I think I forgot about is how well he's been shooting lately. So thanks for bringing yeah. up those, those stats because that makes such a huge difference for this team. And if he comes back and I, I think he may play against the Spurs continues to hit threes at the same time that Mikhail Bridges starts to hit threes, Yikes! Like that's going to be hard to defend. That that's basically you know two two of the that's, best wings. It's impossible to defend. Yeah, I'll say it right now. Yeah. Like, what do you give up? You know, schem- schematically, yeah, you either give up the Aiton roll, which is going to kill you, or the Booker mid range, which is going to kill you, or the corner three to Mikhail Kelly Cam, which is going to kill you. Yeah, like that's the perfect offense. You know, talk. We could talk about the defensive struggles that the Suns have long term, and whether all these guys are the right defensive pieces. But now that we finally see Booker and Aiton together, it's so clear what the you know you can see the puzzle pieces come together. It's so clear what James Jones was envisioning in the first place. Just take those guys, make them the the deadliest pick and roll duo in the NBA, or at least close, and surround them with shooters. And you can't go wrong doing that. Yep, that's right. So we'll see if that does happen. Obviously, I think that 44% or whatever it was is unsustainable. But even still, just to see him raising his overall average for this year, like we talked about last week, Sam, if he can continue at that level, which is something like 35, 36, that's, that's huge for this team. Um, Dario Saric. Dario Saric in and out of the starting lineup, in and out of the rotation entirely over the last few weeks. Um, he's been... I don't know. It's and I'm interested to see what you guys are going to say. Actually, Sam, why don't you start with this one uh, with Dario Saric? What do you think? Sure. So the first thing is um, I believe that Dario didn't deserve at all what he got. Uh, I, I never thought he should have been really bumped out of the starting lineup at the first place. I definitely don't think he should have lost his spot in the rotation entirely. That being said, I have to give him a C- minus just talking about my expectations because I was hoping for a bounce back year from Dario where he looked a little bit more like his second year self in Philadelphia, maybe shot the three ball a little bit better. 35, 36% is what I was hoping for. What we've actually gotten from him is more like 32%. uh, And he's just struggling to hit wide open shots. So that's definitely been frustrating. And that kind of explains my grade. That being said, like now that again, now that Aiton is back, you can see it. You can see the offense and what it's supposed to, the types of looks that it's supposed to generate. Like Dario had three assists against the Knicks this week. He had five assists against Boston, and he's just that type of playmaking for. You know, he can take in the post a little bit. He can drive from the elbow. Uh, he just is a little more fluid in his game with a lot of the stuff that he does than your typical six foot ten guy, uh, and that still makes him obviously a valuable piece. I just don't know if, based on how he's played overall this season, if the Suns actually have any intention of re-signing him. Like the the vibe I kind of get from it is that Dario might be a one and done for the Suns, and I, I really don't know 
what sort of effort James Jones is going to put into re-signing this guy long-term. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think that's one of the more interesting decisions that they have to make. Andrew, what did you have for Dario? I give a B minus. Just like I, I started off with a C plus, but then I was comparing with like Cam Johnson. I'm like, Dario's definitely been like more impactful than than Cam, so that wasn't fair. But a B minus. I mean, he's been he's been pretty good at times, and sometimes he's played in not the the best situations for him to succeed. And then like Sam was saying, like it, it was totally BS that he got. Pretty much just got benched for like no reason at all for the for the Aiton and Baines lineup, and that was that was terrible. And now like like we're seeing he's he's a like for me I get frustrated a lot because I like they're doing a better job at it now, but it feels like a lot of times like the Suns weren't getting aimed the ball more so when he was just getting integrated back into the lineup. But that's what I like about Sarge. It feels like he always makes a smart play, and like when he drives, he doesn't just drive to you know he he drives with a purpose. If he drives, he knows the defender's gonna help, and then he lobs it up to Aiton or or frees him up for an easy dunk. I, I think it's a great fit with Aiton, and yeah. No, but like you said, that is frustrating though about how we don't know if he's gonna resign. What are his plans? Like that's why not to like you know keep bringing up the Brandon Clark situation, but like if you're gonna trade <laughs> yeah. the sixth pick yeah. for Cam Johnson and Brandon Clark or and uh, Dario Saric, then You'd probably want to make sure, okay, I'm trading the sixth pick. I'm trading down to 11. The biggest need on this team is a power forward. I'd want to have a power forward with either the sixth pick. Okay, I don't have it there. Okay, I'd like to have one with Dario or the 11th pick. And past this year, we don't know if they got that because we don't know if they're going to resign. So that's, that's the most frustrating thing for me with that situation. Yep. Yep, I agree with that. I gave Dario Saric a C. Saric, I got to say it right. A C. Um, I struggled giving him anything higher than that. I considered lower than that even uh, just because he's been struggling uh, lately. One thing I do want to remind people of, something that I talked about at the beginning of the season. Uh, in 2017-18, he shot 36% from three before January 1st and 41% after. Uh, in 18-19 last season, he shot 33% from three before January 1st and 39% after. Sarge kind of plays himself into shape. Um, he didn't look great coming into the season. Looked a little soft. Looked like a guy who wasn't quite in NBA shape. And I think he's going to pick it up a little bit uh, after the after now that the new year is here. Uh, that's something that statistically he's done in the past. He shot better at the end of the season than he did at the beginning of the season. If he continues to do that, that makes a huge difference. DeAndre Ayton's back. We're going to talk about him in just a second. When he's on the floor, guys get open from the three point uh, from behind the three point line, and Dario Saric is going to be the guy that's probably open the most in that starting lineup because he's the least of the threats um, besides Ricky Rubio, who just won't shoot it. Uh, so if he starts making that shot, that makes such a huge difference. But I think his playmaking, his ability to play better defense than I expected, and his renewed focus on rebounding, I think he actually can raise that grade towards the end of the season. I like Dario Saric. Like I I don't dislike him. I think he's 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 not a bad player. I think he's might be more of a backup point or a backup power forward long term though than a starter. I'm starting to uh, question whether or not his future is a starting power forward on a good team. I I don't know. What do you Sam, what do you think? Do you think that's Dario Saric's future? Yeah, I mean if he can put it all together, we just haven't seen him do it in a single game this season. Yeah, theoretically. I, just, I really the, wonder. If if he plays himself into shape and he's the 37% shooter with some of the rebounding and the defense we've seen, because I think his reputation coming into the season also was that he wasn't a great defensive player, but he's fundamentally sound. And we've talked about that before. You know, he's one of those guys where even if he doesn't generate the steals and the blocks, doesn't play the passing lanes, he stands his ground in the post. I mean, 
We've seen him play some good defensive guys like Nikola Jokic this season. So uh, I, I definitely think he has the capabilities to put it all together and be a starter in theory. Uh, is that actually going to come to fruition? I don't know. And I don't know how GMs are really going to see it either. Yeah. Because like right now, just if he has a similar second half of the season yeah. to his first half and he doesn't play himself into shape, uh, he's not looking at, even in with what a weak free agent class this is, he's not going to look at an amazing uh, contract. No. Even with all the cap space available, I just don't, I don't see it either. Any other thoughts on Dario, Andrew? Um... His facial hair kind of bothers me, but <laughs> no, nah, he's been, no, nah, he's been, he's been, for me, it's just like, I, I watched him and it's like, he's one of the people that like make me the most upset sometimes during games though, by what they do. And they made me tweet dumb stuff. I'm blaming that completely on him and not on me being immature. <laughs> it's completely on him. And I just tweet dumb stuff. But then like, I watch him like, this guy's a smart player, man. He's a solid player and, and he's helped the Suns win the games this year. I have a rule. Uh, on Twitter and Reddit, just don't judge people for what they say during the game. Don't judge people for what they say during the game threads on Reddit. Don't judge people for what they tweet during the game. We all have thoughts that are sort of passing thoughts that seem like they're uh, what we genuinely believe deep down inside, and they're not. Uh, so on his facial hair, though, there is, for those who watch Parks and Rec, there's a scene in Parks and Rec where Ron Swanson uh, it goes off with his ex-wife for a while, and then he has this massive gap between his mustache and they asked him why he shaved it off. And he says, I didn't. I, it rubbed off uh, from fi- friction. And I think of that scene every single time I see Dario Saric's mustache. I just feel like he should look cooler, right? Like, <laughs> like he's just like, he's like, he can be a cool player because like he can pass, he can shoot, he can take people off the dribble. He just needs to look cool. I feel like people would nah, like him a lot more I mean, if he. If he looked cooler, <laughs> oh for sure, he's got the Frank problem, but you know he's got the floppy hair. He cut, too. He cut kind of the flops hair up and down. Uh, it's still it's floppy again. But it's still floppy. You know what it is, and and I don't want to go too much into like the personal attacks on on Dario's life here, but like he's just got a weird shaped head, I guess. And <laughs> I don't know. If, like, I just don't know if don't the want, hair. I don't want to go too deep into the tax and then the tax. Yeah, but it, but his head <laughs> sucks. <laughs> fuck that guy though but i don't want to go too deep into that tag it's hard it's hard for him in general to find like a haircut that fits his his head (laughs) all right if anyone listening to this knows dario sharich uh send him to vip barbers on indian school these guys are from russia and they're the best barbers in phoenix i don't shave your mustache dude and shave his mustache yeah Give him a fade. I'd like to see him with a fade. Let's give him waves, man. Come on, (laughs) let's see what that looks like. (laughs) Give him something. All right, the big ticket, DeAndre Ayton. We calling him that now? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) He doesn't. It's just DA, right? Everyone calls him DA. He doesn't really have uh, Dominating. Dominating. I call call him Dominating. I don't know if I like that one. I'm I'm not. I'm not ready for it yet. Uh, Once he makes an All Star, I think maybe we can call him Dominating, but. Uh, and the fact that I even said it like that shows you how confident I am and how he's played <laughs> so far this season. Um, you know what? Uh, DeAndre Ayton follows one person uh, that is on this podcast really? right Sam? now. And that is that is Andrew. So, Andrew, I think you've got to be the, the person that starts with DeAndre Ayton. What do you think is of his performance so far? First of all, it's so funny to me how people just look at me as like, like I just like I'm in love with DeAndre Ayton now. When like I don't know if you guys followed me before the lottery, but I was I was intolerable when it came to Luca. Like I wanted Luca more than I wanted any prospect in my life. So then that caused me to say some things about DeAndre Ayton that weren't the best in terms of his ability and you know it was just the Valanciunas and Andre Drummond comparisons and then 
me saying if I was an eight, if we drafted eight, and I would just fucking never root for the Suns again. Stuff like that. Nice little things like that. But ever since we got eight, I've been on board, man. Like, he, I know he says a lot of dumb stuff sometimes, but he works so hard, and and I love him now. But yeah, in terms of this season, <clears throat> I feel like you guys might be higher than me on this, but I'm I'm giving him a strong B right now because I I loved everything. I'm I love what I'm seeing now more so than. Then when it first when he first started playing because he was you know he get fatigued really quickly he looked kind of out of place I'm not gonna lie those first few games back I was like man like the fit's kind of like terrible because like he like what is he doing out there he's just taking like 14 mid range shots a game like that's you know that's not gonna put the Suns into place to succeed but I mean he started off the year crazy with that uh, that Sacramento Kings game which we're all so pumped about and then and this is, the suspension came that's actually i actually had him at a b plus but then i feel like i had to take him down a, yeah. a notch just because of the suspension like yeah. like a big thing i was saying was like i right, forgive the guy but like that doesn't mean what he did wasn't stupid like he made a mistake but i just wasn't on the side of just keep like you know ragging on the guy for for what he did but he did something stupid it cost the team like we don't even know it could possibly cost the team a playoff spot because in terms of because we see how good he can be and how good him and Booker can be, you imagine those twenty five games. You think he wouldn't add a couple wins? Like like of course he would. So that takes him down a little bit, but he's been really good, especially as late. For me, I was talking to my to my to my friend about this. It's I feel like for the last like almost year and a half we've been hearing Aiden say that he's going to do this and he's going to do that, and it just doesn't happen. And recently, I haven't heard him say that he's going to do anything. But he's actually like doing it. He's actually being aggressive. He's trying to take some people off the dribble every once in a while. He's actually getting more than two free throw attempts in a game, and like, it, it's really fun to watch. And you know, he still has those defensive lapses in terms of guarding the rim, but he's been great on the perimeter. He's been so much. He's been so improved from the beginning of last season. It's actually insane. So yeah, I, I give him a really strong B. And at the end of the year, it can it can probably be maybe it could even be an A. Honestly, with yeah. with what we're seeing recently with Aiden. So yeah, no, I, I give him a strong B right now though. I think that if he was playing the way he is right now and he had played uh, through that 25-game stretch, like he had just developed to where he is right now, I would probably be giving him an A already. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave him a B plus. Sam, Sam, actually, go ahead and you talk about him. What, what do you have for uh, DeAndre Ayton? I think it's kind of interesting what Andrew said, actually, um, because I don't... I didn't take into account the suspension at all, and now maybe I'm thinking I should have. <laughs> but yeah. I, I gave him a B plus, kind of just based on what I've seen from him on the court. And I was also frustrated um, in that first stretch of games with what he was doing. The past two games have been so so encouraging with him fixing the flaws, uh, like you said, Andrew, just taking taking guys off the dribble, mm-hmm. getting 11 free throw attempts against the Celtics. That's so fucking huge. And then he's still so good at all the things we know he's good at. Uh, he walks into like five or six offensive rebounds a game. It's absurd. Um, he, he can do a, a tiny bit of playmaking. He's got the mid-range shot in his bag. I don't want him to overuse it, but you know, just as, as a play finisher, as a high-level play finisher, there's no one you'd rather have him playing with, really, than Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio. I mean, that tandem just opens so many doors for him, um, and I think he's got a really bright future. So I'm happy with the B+. Um, and I didn't even talk about his defense. His defense obviously has been the, the biggest development that we've seen from him this year. Um, but yeah, I just wrote a lot about DeAndre in this past week. So Yeah, yeah, you can go ahead and check that out. And, and we're thinking about doing a video about him too because I think there's some interesting things to break down with DeAndre Ayton. Because if he, as we all know, Talking about DeAndre Ayton online is it's difficult because so much of what he does well is not easily noticed. 
it's not something that immediately stands out in the box score like like you know if he was 11 for 12 in a game or something like that uh maybe the rebounds are eye-popping sometimes but uh there's not a lot of stats for screens um there's not a lot of stats for uh just scaring guys away from the rim by being a big presence there I think that he's done a really good job this season at the stuff that's the hardest to get better at. And that's why I gave him a B plus as well. Now, I did take the uh, suspension into account a little bit, but I didn't want to overly punish him for that because I just you just got to get over that at some point. I think that it, it hurts guys like James Jones and Monty Williams in my ratings more than I factored in hurting DeAndre Ayton just because it's I just don't really care anymore. It's, it's what is he doing right now? That's what I really want to evaluate. He, we don't have a huge sample size here of DeAndre Ayton. And he started off a little uh, diff- He struggled on offense, like you, like you said, Andrew, with the mid-range shots. Um, but he's not shying away from contact like he was last year. He's stepping into the screens. He's taking the hit from the screens. He's jumping into guys on the offensive end in the last few games. He's lowering the mid-range shots a little bit. People like to point it out. Zach Lowe talked about the mid-range shots on his podcast just as DeAndre Ayton started to shoot less. And all I could think when that happened was, now everyone's going to talk about every damn mid-range shot that he shoots without recognizing that he's actually cutting that down more and more from game to game. It takes a little bit of time. Here's the thing about big men. Unless they can create their own shots, which very few big men can from the perimeter. Uh, Joel Embiid may be the only one, unless you count Giannis as a center, which he kind of is then it takes more than just the big man to create a shot for them. It takes everyone working in unison to get the ball to somebody that low on the court. Why? Because the other team wants that the least of all. They're doing everything in their power to keep DeAndre Ayton from getting the ball close to the rim. That means chemistry has to get better. That means coaching changes have to change depending on how guys are defending him and the other players on the team. And new players that are playing with him have to figure him out a little bit. That means that I was never really overly concerned of offense in general. I think it makes sense that he's doing a little too many mid-range shots to start the season. It takes a little time. But what's hard is recognizing defense. What's hard is getting your effort up on defense. And what's hard is taking hits regularly the way he is. So the fact that he's improved at the stuff that's the hardest to improve at, to me, that's that's a plus And for him. so quickly, too. Like if, you watch his, like if you try to watch his first like 20 games last season... It's so painful to watch. Like it, it was like you lose hope like so quickly. And I think it honestly just like I said it before, but it goes to speak on like Aiden's just like his his work ethic and like how coachable he is. I think that's what makes him so likable. The fact that you know you'd think somebody like him, hey, I'm the number one pick. You know, I've always been the best. Like anywhere I go, like they don't they don't have to be that coachable. Like you've seen like in the past, like Andrew Wiggins and guys like that. But now you're seeing Aiden. He's like, all right, I got to do this better. And he's doing it better. And he listens to his teammates. And, and like you said, man, the defensive improvement in one year has just been insane. I tweeted this yesterday, but I think Igor Kokoshkov, like deserves a lot of that credit, too. He, the, the way he got Aiden playing at the end, the beginning of last year to the end of last year is crazy. And now to see Aiden playing, the way he's playing defense right now is just super impressive. I'm surprised you had the confidence to tweet that. I must have missed that one. Uh, yeah, no. I, I, <laughs> did, I did that one get a, me and, yeah, yeah, did that get a good reception or? It actually kind of did, though. Like, I think people like agreed with it, but yeah, not, nobody yelled at me telling me that Igor is the worst coach of all time or anything like that. <laughs> I think that, that there's been a little bit of a, a change in his reputation after seeing how hard it is to get eight in the ball in those, those places, those spots, um, mm. especially with him because he's not, he hasn't fully sealed off a lot on offense. He's getting much better off uh, at it. 
And here's here's a, a couple things that I will say about uh, DeAndre. And just a reminder, I know a lot of people are saying, well, this is DeAndre and he's a number one overall pick. He has to be able to create his own shot to make this worthwhile. And to those people, yes, you're right. That's a fact. Over time, he does have to be able to create his own shot. But I just want you to remember back to a guy like Amari Stoudemire. Amari Stoudemire started off being able to score anywhere around the rim. He was absolutely explosive and insane. It wasn't really until 08-09 or 09-10 that Amari Stoudemire started just being able to dump the ball to him in the high post, and then everyone just kind of spread out and let him go to work. That type of game takes some time, and I think DeAndre Ayton needs some time to get there as well. Amari was probably better at it to start. Uh, but Amari was a freak. I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot of guys that are like that. I think that DeAndre Ayton is massive, and he can do things that Amari couldn't. And I think that over time, he's going to be able to do that. And what do you have to say, Sam? The, sorry, just the last thing that kind of frustrates me is that it's not even that DeAndre can't create his own shot. Like, he's already a very good post player. And that counts as creating your own shot. Yeah. You know, if you dump a, you if you dump the ball to a guy in the post and he creates his own shot that way, that definitely counts. He's much better than Amari was at that age. It's just the fact that he can do that. He has the option to do it, and sometimes he settles for the fourteen foot mid range jumper mm-hmm. instead. But like you guys already talked about, you know, he's if he cuts down on the frequency slowly, um, then that's a good thing. I just you know, a step back three is always going to be like a highlight in today's NBA and some of the post moves that DeAndre Ayton has had this season, you know, like some of the fancy spin moves he's had against guys like Cody Zeller last week against the Hornets. Like that's not going to make highlight reels in the same way that Luca's step back does. But it doesn't mean that, you know, just because it's not as fancy, it's an effective tool. Uh, and, and it's like a, a good post-up player is still a very viable option to have, even in 2020, when all people are talking about is scoring at the rim uh, and from beyond the three-point line, because that's still scoring at the rim if you're good enough at it. And DeAndre Ayton is one of those guys. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to say about DeAndre Ayton, just, just, to, just to put a pin on it for me, I'm giving him a B-plus right now. Sam's giving him a B-plus. And of course, Andrew gave him a B as well. He's, we're giving him good grades right now. And because he's done well right now. But what's important for DeAndre Ayton is being consistently good for the rest of the season. We have, a, this is the smallest sample size of any player we're talking about here. And to see him get back to back massive monster games with rebounding and scoring and defense is very encouraging. And I'm sure that had an effect on the grades that we're giving him right now. But he has to play well for the rest of the season to live up to what we're expecting out of him because now we know what he's capable of. And I think he yeah, can do that. I can say, like last year, we saw a little stretch between we were playing Brooklyn, the Suns were playing Brooklyn, Washington, OKC, Dallas, and he he had a stretch where he averaged around like twenty two and fifteen, like a, a five, six, seven game stretch, and then it kind of went back to okay, he's averaging seventeen and ten, sixteen and ten, he's being less aggressive because like we know he can do this, and that's why like I've always been one of the main like you know because obviously the Luca thing where people they see Luca and they want more at eight, and I'm like all right, we have to be patient, but in terms of critiquing Aiden, like I, I'm, I'm with it just because like every like all three of us know like how good he can be and like how impactful he can be, and we're seeing it now. So when we don't get it, that's when it gets frustrating because yeah. you know it's in there. So it's it'd be worse if like we we didn't think he could do it or he wasn't capable. Of it. We know he's capable of it, and there's so much that he's capable of that we don't even know like the, the heights he can reach. But it's literally all up to him. Yeah, maybe it's all up to him. maybe someday he'll hit a three. <laughs> maybe maybe he'll take one someday. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Sam, you got any other thoughts on DeAndre Ayton? That's all for me. I think you guys pretty much wrapped it up. Yeah, this is a long one, so I appreciate everyone for sticking around with us. I knew this was going to be long, but I'm glad we touched on everyone. I think 
it's a nice time to do a check-in with everyone and see where we're at. Andrew, of course, thank you for joining us. Andrew, actually, now now that we're uh, off topic a little bit here, you, you, you recently played Call of Duty with Devin Booker, right? Yeah, that was pretty sick. Yeah, talk about that. What? How, how did that happen? What? what was that like? Wait, 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 wait. Hold up, hold up. Way to bury the lead, dude. Like ninety minutes into the podcast, we talk- <laughs> yeah, dude. I was literally, I was hoping he would bring that up. Right away, I told myself I was like, oh, I'll bring it up when we talk about Devin Booker. But then, you know, there's just so much to talk about. This team is so interesting right now. So, uh, what happened? Tell us about that. So I was literally just streaming, and I was just doing whatever. And then somebody in my chat was like, "Yo, Booker." It was like so early. It was like three, four in the morning. I was just a freak because I don't ever sleep. And, uh, yeah, they're like, yo, Booker's streaming. And I'm like, all right, bet. I'll tell him he wants to play. And I did. And then he just DM'd me. He's like, yo, like, I'll add you and this and that. I'm like, all right, cool. And we did. We just played a little bit. Except he was he was talking shit to me, man. But I couldn't really hear him. We couldn't hear him because, like, our, the game chat wasn't working. <laughs> oh, that sucks. He was talking shit to me. And he was like, yo, somebody tell Andrew to step it up. So I, I didn't appreciate that. So he might need to see me on the court because I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't cool with that. But, no, like, like actually, though, that, that was super cool. And then. Kelly was down, I think, but he had the charity event though, so he had to cancel last minute. But it's pretty dope, man. I can't lie. They're they're all. That's what's cool cool about this team, dude. They're all like young and they're all like they're all like fucking cool. Yeah. Like there's no like weird people on our team. Youngest team in the league, and uh, yeah. and hopefully this this recent stretch, they're four and one in the last five games. They won four out of the last five games. The one loss without Ricky Rubio. I'm hoping that this they can build on this. I think if DeAndre Ayton becomes the monster that he's becoming and we just figure out a way to mitigate the minutes without Devin Booker on the floor, mitigate the damage during those minutes, then I think this team can win a few more games, starting with the dreaded Spurs. So hopefully they beat the Spurs tomorrow night. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, Andrew. We really appreciate you coming on. No, I appreciate it, dude. I've, I've been wanting to come on here for so long. Like, it's... <laughs> Like this is like one of my dreams come true, so I'm really happy. Appreciate it, man. Dude, you you just recorded one of our longest ever episodes with us. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't. I'm not gonna we don't lie usually. To you. Yeah. I was low key looking at the clock because I'm trying to order Chick Fil A on DoorDash, but like I didn't want like to order because like the dogs started barking, so I'm like, oh shit, it's getting kind of close here. But no, it was actually like, dude, I record a podcast, but then I just talked to myself and I recorded for like 20, 30 minutes, and that shit like so boring. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. But when you're just talking like. Three bros just chatting it up. Dude. It's easy. Super fun. Yeah. yeah, super fun. Yeah, it's easy. Every week, me and Sam in the podcast and go, that was easier than I expected. But, uh. Yeah, that was happening. It's fun. <laughs> All right, thanks. We'll be back next week, of course. I think we'll bring it over at home because I think we found it to where we finally look at each other in the eye and, you know, we give in constructive criticism to where I trust you. What, what did I do wrong? Okay, gotcha, let me fix it. So stuff like that, um, I mean, I look up to Ricky and Baines a lot. Not to say I don't look up to my teammates when they talk to me, but them two guys are the main guys that, you know, talk on the team to where it's instruction and it's just positivity. You're never going to stare us wrong. Yeah, this is what we get here. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.